0: You have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, join me in the Gospel of Luke again. And as you're turning there, I just want to say thank you on behalf of us as leadership here at, Le- at Living Church. Thank you so much for how you invested in Joe and Abby um, and their ministry that they had there um, in El Salvador. And one of the things that I love is that, you know, the mission that Jesus has called us to is not just local, it's global, right? He said, Go therefore all, and make disciples of all nations. And so what's exciting to me, just the other day, I was thinking through this, you know, we have. Jenny Moran, who shared a few weeks back how God is moving her to to go and teach and and live the gospel there overseas in China, and you have Joe and Abby and and the partnership that they're having there in El Salvador, and then Jason and and Izzy Tucker, and how God is raising them up with a team from Calvary Christian School to go and go to Haiti, and I mean, just awesome. I I mean, this is is what the Spirit of God does. This is what the Spirit of God does. He moves people out to live the, the mission, to live the gospel, not just here locally, but all over the world. And, and we get to have a part of that. And I love, that's why, as, as I was listening to that living church, that's what the church is. It's living. It's active. It moves because of the spirit of God who moves inside us as, uh, as the song, even as they were playing that song, he's alive in us. And because he's alive, he moves us out to live his mission. Luke chapter 24. We looked at this last Sunday, but I want to read it to read this to us again this morning. But he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they, the women, remembered his words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. About a month or so ago, we launched into a teaching series we called The Road to Resurrection. Um, And this morning, we want to wrap up that series. We want to wrap up that series by um, having these two gentlemen, Kyle Mack and, and Ed Snow, share their road to Jesus, if you will, their road to resurrection life in Jesus. And we've looked over the past month at Jesus' road from um, there in the upper room with the disciples washing their feet to um, him replacing Barabbas in the prison and then him going to the cross and then him being um, resurrected from the empty tomb. And so this morning, we thought it'd be good to conclude this series by hearing two resurrection stories, if you will, two men who have been transformed by the person of Jesus Christ from the inside out. Um, And and talking to these guys, their heart, I just can't wait for you to hear not just their stories, but their heart come through. And one of their passions is that through them sharing their stories, they're not put on this pedestal, if you will, and say people look at them. But ultimately what they want is they want Jesus to be seen. They want you to see that as as they share their stories, that Jesus is the life that we all need. He's the life that we were created for. And that only by receiving his life is your life, is my life transformed um, from death to life. Um, And as I was reading this this week through Scripture, I was in 2 Corinthians, and I I came across chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, and I thought these verses that Paul declares just echoes so loudly um, the heart that we have this morning as you hear their stories. And Paul wrote this. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we met Thursday night in Kyle's basement, and just I just listened to them tell their stories. And We were there for three hours. We're going to do our best not to keep you here that long, okay? So what you're really receiving are the kind of the cliff note version, if you will, of their stories. Um, And I just want you to hear kind of their stories of what life was like for them growing up, what life was like for them before Jesus changed them, that moment, what happened that led to that change, and then their life now since Jesus has transformed their lives. And that's kind of where we're going to go. This morning, Kyle and Ed both are involved in a couple of living communities. Kyle um, and Ed—they're part of the, the Southeast Cincy Living Community. Ed and, and Rebecca—they're part of the Covington Living Community as well. But I just want to kind of jump in, and we're going to try to do this more conversationally, um, and 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 you guys kind of get a window into that conversation this morning. All right. So we'll start with you, Kyle. Tell me a little bit about what life was like growing up for you, your family life, uh, religious church background.
1: Okay. So um, the first thing would be is I grew up uh, a devout. Um, Catholic, um, strict adherence, uh, quite a bit of pride in um, the lineage of Catholicism in my family. Um, And so much to the point where about the eighth grade, I made a decision that I wanted to become a priest. And so I even began doing some uh, more advanced catechism training um, with a panel of um, some leadership at the church, specifically some priests. And um, started learning about what the Catholic faith believed in every aspect that you can imagine. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, I mean, I was typical growing up type thing, other than the fact that my my father was an alcoholic, uh, functional most of the time, uh, to the point where he was keeping a job until um, he had lost his job. And that was kind of his thing, that was he felt like his function for the family was as provider. And um, because of the circumstances of him getting laid off and then getting another job quickly and then getting fired because he was drinking on the job while driving a company vehicle, he was kind of, had this kind of scarlet letter to where he couldn't find any work after that. And so he became extremely depressed. So it went from being this functional alcoholic to being a very abusive, um, very depressed individual that that was his only escape from his misery was 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 uh, drinking. And so um, that happened and a series of other just really difficult things all at the same time uh, in high school just kind of hit me and I started to get, not that I didn't believe in God, but I was angry with God. I didn't really uh, trust him. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up in a church where I was taught that, you know, God showed his love in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I grew up in a church saying that grace is a combination of two things, your belief, but then also your works. And so I felt like I had made this commitment to God to become this priest and to, to bring glory to him in some way. And so he owed me back to fix my family. And ultimately, that's really the big reason why I did what I did, uh, making that commitment. And I felt like God was failing me in that. Um,
0: so you're so you're expected if I pursue the priesthood, then God's going to somehow change my family life or make things better for me.
1: That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so, I mean, in addition to that, just my dad losing his job was a huge thing. That's probably the major factor. Uh, there was also I started having all these health issues, uh, probably related to the fact that when I was, I don't know. I mean, I I drank. I can't remember when I started drinking. But um, I really started drinking heavily in high school. When I started working, my dad's like, you're, you're a man if you're working. And so whatever I wanted, he'd bring home. And there, were, most nights I was typically drinking myself to sleep. And so um, and it got to a point where I could drink, you know, a 12-pack or a case of beer in a day, and it, that, that was just typical for me. And so, um, so that and uh, just had... Um, my uncle uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of high school my uncle was arrested for uh, molesting his five children and uh, I had some of that going on in my past to where that brought up a lot of feelings and pain and things that I hadn't quite worked out and so I was dealing with that and um, so yeah I just I just was really angry I felt like I was getting dumped on and um, so I started pursuing things that would kind of destroy my life, rather than trying to do things that would glorify God, because I wanted Him to feel the pain that I was feeling. And um, so, uh, like I said, drinking heavily, smoking, drugs, whatever it was, um, it didn't matter. I was, you know, I, I, obviously I did ornery things as a child, but it wasn't with that intent. It, it the, the intent changed why I was doing those things, um, had changed in my life.
0: Talk to a little bit about that situation. You described that moment
1: kind of in the house, that struggle, that one between your, yeah. your dad and brother yeah. and all that. So things, yeah, got really rough. And I, maybe junior year, I mean, there were always fights that would break out, fist fights, stuff like that. But there's one in particular morning where um, my dad, I don't know if he was, drunk from drinking already, or if he was drunk from the night before, but it was like about 6.30 in the morning, my brother had woken up to get started on his homework because he would forgotten to take care of it, uh, I think I was like a yeah, junior or something like that, my brother was a, uh, a, a, a freshman in high school, and um, and he had forgotten to do the sock laundry, and so my uh, my dad came down because my mom needed her socks for work or something like that, and they weren't all sorted. And so my dad said something like, hey, I thought I told you to take care of this. And my brother, with his back turned to him working on his homework, he said, yeah, I can't do that right now. I'm sorry, I got, I got this. And my dad comes over and just punches him in the back of the head and pushes him to the computer and says, you know, you look at me when I'm talking to you. That's disrespectful. And as he's pushing him, the, the computer fell over and broke. So my dad's ticked off, and he picks him up and throws him through the table. And um, I went over there, and I grabbed him, and I tried to just push him off, but I put a little bit too much force into it, and he went through a wall. Your dad. Yeah, and so then we both went at it, uh, glass flying, mirrors, holes in walls, everything, to the point where my mom called the police, then hung up realizing that this is probably not <laughs> we don't want the police involved here, They came out, they saw the whole scene, they pulled everybody out of the house, started asking questions, there's blood all over the three of us, and uh, the police, I just remember them asking my dad, um, is this a one-time situation, or is this something that happens frequently, and he goes, "Uh, fairly frequently, and they said, okay, like how frequently, he goes, probably at least once or twice a week. And they're like this bad. And he goes, no, not this bad. And they're like, okay, so like this is like a single, well, probably like you know maybe a couple times a month it gets like this. And so they were ready, they, They're they're putting him in handcuffs, and they were saying, we need you to come down and we need you to give statements. We're going to press charges, but we need you guys your statements. And my brother and I both looked at each other and we're like, there is no way we are not going to go. We're not going down there. We're not giving our statements. We know that this is not good for us. Type thing and so we um we refused to press charges, so they they said if if this if we have to come out again, then we won't care about their statements. We're putting you in jail mm-hmm. and um, And so, when I came home from school that day, all my stuff was out on the lawn with a letter that said, "You're no longer um, welcome in our family. you need to find a different place to live and so i was i had a van, and I was living out of that van for a couple weeks, um, and just kind of trying to, you know, go to work, go to school, and all that kind of stuff without really anybody knowing about it. Okay.
0: Um, And how about you? Tell us a little bit about your family upbringing.
2: Uh, My parents initially took us to a, a Christian science church, which is not Scientology, which is what most people think when I say that, but it's not Christianity either. Uh, They do interact with the Bible, but they interact with it through a filter of another book that really um, twists it away from that. But their attendance became less and less consistent, Um, and by the time I was done with elementary school, we were not going anymore. Um, When I headed into my early teenage years and and in middle school, um, i my behavior got terrible. I would shoplift, I would run away on a regular basis, and it got bad enough to the point where my parents kind of threw their hands up with what was going on with me and uh, put me into a boys' home. Um, I can still remember the day they dropped me off and watching their car leave and just a lump in my throat that they really left me here. And I was there for uh, about 10 months, I can still and didn't really didn't change my behavior or my trajectory I got in trouble while I was there I ran away from that place got myself in the summertime put on their lowest level of bad behavior which meant you couldn't even talk to the other kids so I went through like a whole summer right right there in my early teenage years not even interacting with other people my age or interacting with very many people at all Um, but I got to a point where I kind of I figured out how to game them enough and convince them enough that I didn't need to be there, and um, my my parents took me home, and that was uh, that would have been my freshman year, and they just put me into the local high school, which was West High, uh, which from a human perspective was a big mistake. Lots of lots of bad kids there that I could interact with, and it didn't take me very long uh, to fall in with a group of guys who were uh, starting a gang, um, and. Uh, we were definitely into drugs and we were into fighting Um, brawling became a regular part of of my life I would get into big fights at least monthly there were times when my parents thought I was sleeping uh, in my room when I wasn't I was out running the street and I'd come home with you know these big lumps on my face and black eyes from from being out and partying and drinking uh, the night before and we were, as far as gangs go, very successful. Um, I can only half jokingly say that I, I had to eventually marry a girl from the east side because everybody on the west side around my age would have known about that gang and <laughs> would have had um, bad perspectives. So you know, we were in the um, you know had several hundred members and were um, really really active. I got very familiar with the juvenile court over here on Broadway, and I'm really happy they seal those records when we get eighteen. Um, so I'm pursuing that life and, and because I believe that that is what a man is supposed to be. that The image that was given to me of what a man should be is he's powerful, he's strong, he takes what he wants, he's a criminal, he makes a lot of money, and he doesn't care who he runs over to get there. You maybe have your group of friends, your tribe that you run with, uh, but other than that, it doesn't matter who you have to destroy to get what you want. And that was very much the the life path that I was on. When I was 16 years old, I got into a a fight at school, beat a kid up pretty bad, and our gang had given enough trouble to the school at that point that that was their excuse to kick me out. They were like, that's it, you're you're done, we know who you run with, and you're not welcome back here. So I found myself at 16 years old, kicked out of school. Um, And um, a few months later, got the girlfriend that i had at the time pregnant and uh, by the time i was 17 i was a dad and at the same time that this was going on uh, two of the other founding members who were very important in the gang also had got their girlfriends pregnant and they were getting much more active in the drug dealing and they didn't like all the attention that we were getting from the police because uh, from the gang and so we really let the gang kind of dissolve and they pursued much more of the drug dealing i I didn't get into it that much, and kind of stepped back from from the drug dealing fairly quickly. Um, whereas, whereas they went on, and sadly, that's a, what happened to them is kind of a microcosm of what happened to this. I had this huge group of friends when I was when I was a teenager and in high school. You know, hundreds of people. You know, that I was close to, and that we would party with, and um, you know, would fight with. When you know, and when you get into these you know big fights with people, you build this certain amount of camaraderie with them. But almost to a man, every single one of them today is dead, um, in jail, has spent significant amount of time in jail, or is addicted to drugs, um, and pretty much uh, worthless to the to the society because of that, where it's consumed them. Um, so I'm I'm a young teenage dad, and um, I try to I try to step away. From, uh, from the criminal life a little bit and began to raise my daughter. It really uh, had a big impact on me to, um, to see this, this little child who, who needed me and, and I wanted to, to do right by her. Um, so I started to, um, uh, to work and just raise her with her mom. Her mom wanted to get married a uh, short time later which just kind of seemed like just the next step. We weren't getting married because it really meant something to us. Just, you know, you got a kid, we're living together, we should get married. And so we did. Um, a few months later, I, um, I began to, really, these, these deep spiritual questions began to really turn inside of me and I began to look for answers. Um, and I looked all over the place. I mean, I read big chunks of the Quran. I looked into a lot of these Eastern religions that are that are out there, you know. Um, and at one point, I finally sat down and started for the first time to really read the New Testament seriously. And where you start, you start at the beginning of the New Testament. So I started with the book of Matthew, and I was just amazed that as I read through this book, I wasn't reading black ink on white paper i I was meeting a person and i just i totally fell in love with jesus so that by the time that i got to that last couple of verses in matthew all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me go forth make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit i shut the book and said i need to be baptized
0: that's amazing and, and when I was hearing that on Thursday, I was like, that's incredible. I mean, he just picks up the Bible, starts reading it, and just goes straight through, right? Pretty much Matthew to the end. And through the Spirit of God, he gets to the end. He's like, I need Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's all. I mean, it's the power of God's truth. And then as I heard that, this person, I'm convicted <laughs> because how often do I go to God's truth and it becomes, right? Just ink on paper. Yeah, just ink on paper. Right? Right? So, thank you. You're in a van. Right? Down All by right. the river. Down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we left you in the van. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. We're coming back to you. Okay? It's cool. Um, we're, it was in... less than, you know, a couple
1: weeks. <laughs> That's <isn't>
0: good. Good. <laughs> so you're, you're in the van. Talk to us a little bit about what led you to that point of surrendering to, G- to Jesus.
1: Okay. So obviously I didn't have the greatest friends, but at least they, they had the right intention. Uh, they were trying to help me out. They, they heard about the fact that I was in a van So they're trying to find all these solutions. I mean, up to this point, there was this whole understanding that if Kyle needed a couple days, that uh, all the families in the area that were that I was, you know, all my buddies, their families knew what was going on to some extent. I didn't give them the full understanding, but they were nice enough to let me stay with them typically. But this one I knew that, like, I messed up. Like, I went after my dad, and I had been working with uh, a guy from uh, Young Life, uh, some girl that I like, she said I, I won't date Christians, and I said, "Well, what do I need to do?" <laughs> yeah. And she said, "Well, the first step is you need to go, you need to start going to something that is Christian, so you, you know you can start listening to the Word." And so I said, "Okay, well, what what, what do you got for me?" And she said, "Oh, well, I got this group called Young Life. It's really cool." So the first night I went there, the guys uh, just just totally opening up the Word, and it just is hitting me like, "Wow, this guy's awesome. He's talking to me." And obviously I'm not accepting that yet, but I'm, like, I'm feeling like, wow, this is, this, this is speaking to me. And so I really got close with this guy. And so my buddies knew that, even though they were ridiculing me for this the whole time. Once they heard that this was the situation, they found out I am living out of my van, that I'm not wanting any help from anybody. Um, they're, they're like, you need, to, you need to talk to this Brad guy. Um, we not, may not believe in this Jesus guy, but... I think if he is real, you need him, Kyle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to – so I think they got a hold of the girl that I was dating, and she contacted um, uh, Brad Johnson. And uh, so uh, one way or another, I get over to his house, and I'm sitting in his basement, and he's kind of talking through. And the whole entire, I don't know, probably year or so that I had been getting to know him, we were kind of trying to work on this, like how am I – impacting my relationship with my parents negatively why And and trying to look at biblically I'm supposed to be honoring my parents even in this whole difficult time that I'm having with them and um, I just remember him saying Kyle there are certain things that are outside of our control this was not in any way your fault and you're not going to be able to fix your family Mm -hmm. and I mean I cried like I had never cried before and and I just remember him kind of. He's like, I'm really sorry. I don't know what I said, <laughs> you know. And I it's just you it's spoke something that I kind of think I knew, but I was hoping that wasn't true. And uh, because I wanted to fix my family, I wanted God to reclaim this, and I was bargaining with Him to try to figure out a way to get that. I tried doing the right stuff, and then I tried hurting God back the way I was hurting, and it wasn't working. And so then he called a buddy over that had a really similar story of some really difficult stuff going on while he was growing up, and he talked about Christ and how he came to Christ, and it made this huge difference. And I didn't make a decision then. I was kind of emotionally, after letting all that out, I was kind of, kind of worn out at the time when he started sharing. But within a couple days, while in my van... I made a decision to go ahead and, and commit to Christ. That's awesome.
0: Um, so there's somebody that invited you to young life, right? You hear the scriptures, and then there's a <clears throat> significant person who knows Christ mm-hmm. that is influencing your life. Um, and so we'll come back to Ed. So you, you, you've just read the Gospel of Matthew, and you're like, I need to go be, be baptized. Yeah. Take us from there, and then um, give us kind of two or three or pivotal moments that made you realize I'm a different person, that Jesus has changed me. So kind of take us through
2: that. Okay. Um, Well, first off, I really feel like um, the Bible teaches that um, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And so that's what I really felt like had happened to me is I had been born again. And, you know, newborns, newborn Christians tend to be very contagious. And so I was, and and, um, to my mom, my my mom decided to get baptized with me. We went to a neighborhood neighborhood church who I actually just knew because they had a lake behind them and I'd fished in their lake. And the, the two of us were, eh, we, we need a lake, guys. That's, that's how we get more people. Um, so we were baptized together and that was a great experience. I began attending church there um, and, uh, you know, was was really absorbing and, and, and enjoying it. But um, I ran into this big problem in that my my then new wife at the time was was not on board with with the you know the whole me converting to Christianity. To her, she had married this you know this this thug who was in a gang and who you know who partied and, and had a certain um, uh, lifestyle. And and here I was, this Jesus freak that she found herself attached to, and she really didn't like it. So she kind of treated. Christianity, like I think a lot of women would treat hunting. You know, if that's what you want to do on Sundays, that's fine. But you better not bring anything home with you. <laughs> um, so, I, that, you know, this tension began to grow between us. And I really, um, I struggled with that. And I think that I, I, I fumbled a lot because it felt like every step I would take toward Jesus, i have to take a step away from my wife and vice versa. Um, and... And by the way, if you're, if you're a devoted believer and you're thinking about marrying someone who's not a believer, I'd just say from my perspective, you have no idea the kind of heartache you're asking yourself for. Mm-hmm. I'd really discourage you from doing that just from, a, from my perspective. So that, that tension of, uh, and the combination of that and then a new pastor, uh, the pastor who was at that church leaving and a new pastor coming in, who's really this hellfire and brimstone preacher he, he was just very off-putting to me at the time, and so I drifted away uh, from that church, and found myself a short time later just <clears throat> totally detached from any kind of church. Still, still a Christian, I still believed in Jesus, I, you know, to some extent, but not really, not really committed. Hadn't really thought it through. Just was, you know, drifting. And I think you really find out when you when you do become a Christian that this world is a spiritual battlefield. Um, and you just stuck your head up, you're going to start taking fire. And if you're out there alone, you're very easy for the enemy to isolate and make ineffective. And that's where I found myself. And as my two kids began to grow, I I saw in them after a few years, this, um, this immorality in the world really affecting them and just kind of knew like, I need to at least get these girls back into a church. I didn't really feel like I needed to be a part of one at the time, um, which I was wrong about, but I felt like I, I needed them to be plugged into a church. So we began attending another church, uh, nearby. Um, and I can remember sitting in a parking lot, and this is how far I drifted away and how wrong I was. And this, this moment God really is locked into my brain. We're sitting in a parking lot before we go in to that, to that church. And I told my two girls, now listen to me, Jesus isn't God. If he just calls himself the son of man. Um, and I, I, I think God's locked that in to show me how far I had drifted away from him and how how much I really needed to be a part of a church. So uh, shortly after that, somebody challenged me to read uh, a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And um, I can remember as I was reading that it it ignited some kind of fire in me. I think I'd had this impression up to this that point that, Whenever you picked up the Bible and started reading or you walked into a church, you just kind of checked your brain at the door. You know, this isn't an intellectual thing. This is, this is a faith thing. Christianity really doesn't have a lot of answers to, to science and some of the, um, the big problems that we face in life. But this book it really made me start to um, realize that, no, it does. And, and, you know, Ed, you've got some really big questions that, that you don't have answers to. Um, and it's okay if you ask them. Like, like let's really let's see how strong this foundation of Christianity is, and smack it with a few sledgehammers, and, and you know, see how it holds up. Um, and so, I began at that point to to really dig in to the, um, what Christianity was and how it answered some of the big problems that we have in life. You know, I asked myself, Do you really believe there is a God? You know, do you really believe He's active in the world? How could Jesus be God and actually be a person walking around? How could he be a baby in a manger? How would the universe keep going when Jesus was a baby? Um, and, you know, and some of the big questions like that, um, I listened to just an embarrassing number of hours of lectures and debates and, and books, um, but really came to to a point through that process, which I still feel is, you know, ongoing in some ways, of... Um, of Christianity becoming something real to me, um, that I that I really needed to live, and it didn't. It needed to be something that wasn't just a part of my life, because Jesus doesn't just want so much of your time, so much of your money, and so much of your attention. He wants you. He wants the whole you, and every aspect of you. And I wasn't giving that to him, and I and I needed to. So I began to. But as I did that, you can imagine the tension in the marriage really increased to a, um, uh, to a terrible point where <clears throat> she was just embarrassed of me anytime it would come up. And sometimes even when I would just state a certain opinion or do something in particular, the words Jesus or God didn't have to come up at all, and she would just be, I know why you did that, and, and it really irritated her. Um, and I think for me... Um, I got my instructions There's something that Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter seven, where he gets, he tells you what to do if you're a believer and you're married to a non-believer, which is you stay. You know, you live at peace with them. You're by you're sanctifying them. You're sanctifying your children, um, and so uh, that's really where uh, I, I found myself at that point. Um, but the wheels began to come off of the marriage, and. Um, I could I could really, I could see it coming uh, from a long ways off. And I was really tempted, and it seemed so much easier to, as I could tell, that she was going to be leaving me to, to harden my heart to her. Um, and I can still remember a moment of looking at her, you know, and she wasn't looking at me, she was looking at something else. And I just, I wanted to hate her because I knew she was going to be leaving me soon. Um, and I knew that that would be safe. You know, that if you just... You know, if you just turn your, you know, lock your heart up in a box, she's not going to be able to break it. And, and God really speaking to me, but I took away your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. And a heart of stone can't love. A heart of flesh can be broken, but it but it can love. Um, and so uh, I tried to live that out as, as a part of this. And, you know, I think every married couple, you, have, you come apart, you have to reconnect, but every time we would try to reconnect or do any of that, it would just, it seemed to shipwreck always on, on the issue of the, the differing face. We just had very different worldviews that were very opposed to each other. Um, and so it, uh, it did eventually come to the point where um, she asked for a divorce. Um, and if nobody's ever been through a divorce. It's, it's almost impossible to communicate the pain that goes along with that. Um, something that, that's alive is, is, is dying. Um, I remember somebody asked me at one point during that process, and how are you doing, Ed? And my, my true response was I feel like somebody's kicked the ground out from underneath me, and I'm just falling and falling. Um, but I was able to, instead of like I'd done every other time in the past when something major happened in my life, I'd kind of run away from God with my mess. But this time I actually turned to him with my mess. And really just, you know, God, you say you're close to the broken hearted. Here I am and I'm broken. I I need you. I need you not to be these ideas and these principles and these theological um, theories. I need you to be real to me right now. Um, Because I don't know what each day is going to hold. I don't know at the beginning of each day if by the you know by the end of the night what other thing that i've built my life on is going to fall apart and i realized that even though that seems like such a cruel thing for god to allow to happen in your life what he's really done is i'd gone i'd i'd made an idol out of being a good dad and being a good father and god was smashing that idol for me it was coming between me and god and i don't think divorce is good i really i Seen, seen firsthand why like God hates divorce. It, but he is able to make all things work for the good of yeah. those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so that was one of the good things mm. that came out of that
0: process. And so that's a pivotal point where you're able now because instead, like you said, before you just run away yeah. from God, but in this obviously you know, difficult circumstance and trial, now you're running too.
2: Yeah, I think right. a lot of us feel like you know, we need to present our best to God. And, there, you know, there's something to that. Um, but this was, you know, so when there tends to be messy or ugly things in our life, it's easy for us to kind of, you know, to shield mm-hmm. them or to turn them away from God. Yeah. Uh, but this was definitely a moment yeah. where uh, I did the opposite and just mm-hmm. kind of threw, threw all my mess at, at his steps and said, see what yeah. you can do with a broken life, Lord, because it's, it's a mess right yeah. now. How
0: about, for you, we've, you're back in the van again, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've, you've, had the, you've had that moment of just right there turning to Jesus. Talk to us. What what were a couple of pivotal moments for you where you knew now that you were a different person that Jesus had changed you? What were some influences there?
1: Um, well, I, I guess the first thing is that you would think that, that there was like this amazing change in my outward appearance, but there were still a lot of things I was struggling with because mm-hmm. there were a lot of habits of this world that I was still dealing with. You know, Scripture talks about how if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. But for me, in my heart, there was newness, but there were still things that I was still trying to work through. And so although I had that moment where I surrendered, where I asked Christ to be my Savior, it wasn't until um, I started connecting with really strong uh, mentors, good disciples, or where well, I was in discipleship with other guys to where I really started to see my faith start to come out. And in fact, um, I remember when I was, I had met Susan, um, and within just a couple months, uh, I knew that I had a good thing going, so I needed to make sure that she didn't realize that she didn't have such a good thing going with me. So I moved up to be near her. I transferred to to go to the same college because I just I didn't want her to ever have any moment where she could look around and realize that she might be able to do better. So, um, so I started going to the same church as her, and there was this, there was this guy, Doug Helton, and uh, he was a Moody Bible Institute uh, graduate. Um, he had like a master's in, divin- in divinity, and, and he started like just like hammering me on just like systematic theology, working through um, entire books and understanding how to interpret scripture and study the Bible. It really, it's not all that complex, but for me, it was just so enlightening. And um, I remember that this, I'm still really new to the church. I don't understand the general I, I remember like I'd walk in with flip flops and and and, uh, and, uh, and shorts and yeah, kinda like Brandon over there. And and um and this was like a really conservative old fashioned church and I'd have people pulling me aside, like, listen son, you can't be wearing that in here. That's that's disrespectful toward God and all this kind of stuff. I'm like I have no idea what's going on. But I remember just after really working with with Doug, I just had this sense of conviction, like, you are not living out this life that I've given you. And so I went up to the altar, which I I don't know why I went up to the altar. I mean, they did altar calls afterward, but this was, like, within a couple months. I mean, they hadn't done one yet, you know. (laughs) So I, like, run up to the altar, and I'm just like, I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) Um, And so Doug, I mean, he just comes running up there, you know, and he starts praying with me, and he's like, you know. He goes to uh, this this prayer of salvation, and he's like, "You're saved, you're saved, and all that stuff." And then, like, you know, I'm like, uh, "Well, no, I already did get saved. I'm really confused right now. I don't know what's going on." <laughs> um, and so, I think that was a moment of like it, of sanctification, like this process. I'm not saying like there was a I was saved and then I was sanctified. Right. I, I just there was a moment in my life where I knew that I needed to not only make Christ my savior but make Christ my Lord. And surrender my life to Him and pursue Him. And at that point, it became where the things that I was struggling with, the things that were still an obsession for me, they were no longer, my obsession was Christ. I had found why I had this insatiable desire for addiction. It was because I I just wasn't putting it in the right spot. I needed to put it in something that was worthwhile and permanent. And was truly going to bring me satisfaction in my life. And so, um, and I, you kind of brought up that whole baby Christian thing when we were talking. We brought up like uh, 1 Corinthians 3.2, uh, uh, where it kind of talks about, like in the first verse, it talks about how like um, Paul says, you know, I can't talk to you in the same way I would uh, mature Christians because you guys are still infant Christians. I can't even consider you guys spiritual people yet. And so therefore I will continue just as I have in the past, I'm gonna continue to feed you with milk Mm. rather than solid food. And I kind of feel like I was getting the milk that I needed all the way along. But at that point, I was like, I'm done with the milk. I want the solid food. I'm ready. Mm. And so I think the biggest thing for me has been that male influence. Finding people, because I just I can look back, my father in law. Uh, Sean Barrett was a guy that was at that first church I ended up um, really just diving into the word understanding things that were such a struggle I didn't have the intelligence the intelligent debate because from where I my background was that um, there were like you believe certain things because it's a a whole balance of the, the we don't have the sola fide problem the faith alone problem in the Catholic faith it's well, if you don't have all that faith, it's okay, because you just do a little bit more works and that all balances out. And um, even if you come a little short, there's a middle place you can go to called purgatory, and then you can get into heaven afterward. So it's just like one of those things where it wasn't a problem for me, because I'd be like, well, they are crazy about that, but I don't need to worry about that in my faith. Um, And if they're right, no big deal. I have enough works to work that out. But um, when I started understanding the whole faith thing and truly believing and 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 submitting to Christ and the authority of Scripture, His his most powerful revelation, that's when I started hitting some of that and tackling it. And it was great to have other guys that were extremely mature in their faith to be able to work through that and be patient with me.
0: And we have just a few minutes all right, left, and so I want to kind of move us. Because um, I think that's an important piece, right? Because we can spend a lot of time on their stories, what life was like before Jesus, what... That transition of them coming to know Jesus, but we spent a ton of time Thursday night actually on that this this part of your story, mm-hmm. the now, yeah. right, and and the impact now that um, that Jesus is having on your lives. And so, uh, as we kind of bring this to a close, at least this morning, what are some things that you hope y- your story conveys to people that? know jesus and as far as growing in jesus we just like i said just a few minutes but what's one or two things that you just want you you hope that your story
2: conveys
0: or communicates
2: well i would say you know, one of the terms that we mentioned is, is baby christians and that's that can sound kind of derogatory um, but it's really not it, everybody should go through that stage and if you you know if you haven't maybe there's some, there's something wrong um, because a church body should be made up of all kinds of believers, it should be very diverse in here. We should, you know, and it's not something that shows on the outside like our physical age does. Um, it, it's okay to be a baby Christian and just be fed off of the milk for a long time, um, but Jesus offers so much more. The word, the Bible is, it will never plumbs all all the way to the depths of that, um, and it's been. Um, it's been an incredible journey just getting to know God more and that is the way that he'll speak to you the most is, is through the Bible but he also does it through other people. Kyle and I talked about we found that before we even met how many uh, similar like podcasts we would listen to and, and books that we would read um, it's really worth the time to invest mm-hmm. daily into, into getting to know God better. That's good. How about you Kyle?
1: I'd say uh, the biggest thing for me is just the fact that we're not finished in this mm-hmm. process that yeah. um you know uh, in Philippians uh, chapter 1 it says that um he who begun a good work in you will continue that into completion until the day of Christ that means that that's still forward for all of us yeah. that he's still working on us um I I love how Paul talks about how um uh, Christ came into the world for sinners, and he says, of whom I am himself is the worst. And you think about Paul, and I know that, yeah, it, right even in the prior uh, verses to that, he's kind of talking about how um, all the things in his past that he had done. But other portions of epistles talk about the things that he still is striving to, but he's not successful in. And you look at the later parts of Romans, how he's so frustrated, and, and some of the things that he's trying, and that's one of the late, later books That he wrote or later letters that he wrote and so you think about this pillar of the faith i mean really we as Protestants, we look at that guy and he's like he is the foundation of a lot of what we believe ultimately through christ obviously but it's just it's crazy to understand that that he has that perspective and so i think it's important for us to understand that those who are the more match the maturation process of a christian it, it's this whole idea of you become less and less satisfied with yourself and more and more satisfied with who christ is because God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him yeah. yeah and so then you think of like in lamentations where it talks about his mercies are new every morning why would we ever need that if when we pray that prayer we're saved and it's done and um there would be no need for those mercies it's a daily battle i feel like i'm just as much under attack now as I ever have been before, and that, the, and we're kind of talking. I was talking to John Vandemere earlier uh, this morning, and just kind of talking about how just the things of this world, just our natural senses, they're always attacking us, and telling us that what we see and what we feel is real. But those things will all die away. It's it's the things that we understand through Christ that are permanent. And so that's what I'm I'm excited about what still is coming, and for everyone who, regardless of how long you have had this this journey in your faith, you're still growing, and there is still something that Christ wants to do in you. It's not where you meet this place of completion. That isn't at the day of Christ.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come, and as they're coming. Um, I just want to thank these guys for sharing their stories, because as you share your story, especially with some of the past, bringing that up is not easy. Rethinking through the, revisualizing that is a difficult process, and these guys have been gracious to do that for us. And um, and kind of as we, we shared, as I was sharing, hearing their stories Thursday, my story is completely different than theirs, right? I grew up a pastor's kid, and we kind of talked about them grew up in the church all my life pastor's kid went to church when I was a kid taught Sunday school my first sermon was at age six right on a chair in front of the church all this stuff right but the thing that we came we realized I needed the same grace that they needed I needed the same grace I was just as lost the forms of my sin maybe at 12 or 13 were different than theirs but my heart was still lost and I still needed the same grace and so the grace that saved these guys saved me
1: Amen. At my age,
0: right? And so the, the point is, no matter what story, you, have, all of us have a story, all of us are on this road to this resurrection, living life with Jesus. And they're so right that this road involves us continuing to grow in that relationship with Jesus. I need the same grace today that I had at 1213 when Jesus rescued me. I need that same grace. And... and As we wrapped up our time Thursday night, we were kind of like, our biggest struggle is how do we close our stories? (laughs) We want to tie a nice bow, put it on the box, and walk away. And the problem, and and that's the part we struggle with the most. Reality is we we struggled with knowing how to end because I think there is no end. Our stories keep going. This life with Jesus, it continues. It continues on for all of us. And so this morning, I've asked Kyle and Ed, after we sing this final song, just kind of hang out up front. Maybe something that they shared in their story resonates with you. Maybe they've been willing to say, hey, if people need prayer, we'll pray with them. Maybe you just want to encourage them this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, wow, I came in. I need that Jesus. I need the same Jesus that transformed their hearts to transform mine. Whether you grew up in church or not, maybe that's you. Maybe for those of you that know Jesus, you're on this road. It's been a while since you spent time with them. When you've really dug into the Word, I mean, you listen to them now and they're addicted to to Jesus and to His Word. It's not without struggle, but that's where they are. And so after we sing this song, I think that this song is so appropriate as we kind of wrap our morning up as far as their stories. Because it truly is a, a song that depicts, I think, their lives and all of our lives this morning. So let's stand together and let's sing this song.